Welcome to Clean Air for All by Yuhu. It's a podcast from Yuhu about creating a healthy home and life with good indoor air quality. Each month, we will speak with experts and share helpful information and insights about anything and everything that concerns the air we breathe and how we can protect the health and safety of our homes and families while we stay indoors. From understanding indoor pollutants, the benefits of ventilation, the importance of continuous air quality monitoring, to new technologies and more. Hello, welcome to Clean Air for All with Yuhu. My name is Matthias Gelber. Generally, people know me as the Green Man, and I'm super excited to be the host of this show. I have two kids, age two and four. I'm really concerned about air quality and everything we breathe in. So I really want to know how can I optimize our home environment for the health and future safety of our children. I'm super excited to have Dr. Sharmi Lee M. Nuyenhus with us, who is an associate professor of pediatrics and an allergist, immunologist at the University of Chicago. Dr. Nuyenhus is an expert at treating people with moderate to severe asthma, allergies, urticaria, and immune deficiency. Her research focuses on lifestyle intervention that address health equity in minority population with asthma and sinonasal conditions. The interventions range from addressing diet, physical activity, and air quality. She is well-funded by the National Institute of Health and has published over 50 peer-reviewed articles. Further, she is actively involved in community organizations that promote healthy homes and provide asthma education such as the Chicago Asthma Consortium and American Lung Association. Wow, that's an amazing track record. And I'm so excited to have you here today. And the topic for today is really about this month, we want to focus on the implications of indoor and outdoor air quality on asthma and allergies. How various factors such as climate change, complex seasonal changes, viral pandemics, and pollution from indoor and outdoor environments impact allergy and asthma sufferers. A guide to understanding the different types of pollutants that people overlook when they are indoors, the key metrics that should be monitored, guidance on how to manage and control these pollutants in order to stay on top of their asthma and allergy conditions. So really, I am so excited to have you here, Dr. Sharmili, today, and welcome to our show. Great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show today. Yeah, you do amazing things. And uh, some of the words in there were like tongue twisters for me. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially, <laughs> if I understand it right, you are really trying to do the best and create the right conditions for people to minimize any risk of all of these developments and pollutants and uh, changes to impact their health negatively. Is that is that correct? Yes. I, I currently want to learn more about how, as you said, how we can really reduce people's risk of allergic conditions, including asthma and allergies, as well as once they do develop those diseases, because there's multiple factors in developing the, those diseases, how we can help control those diseases by reducing exposures to different pollutants as well as allergens. 
Great, great. I'm really looking forward to learn from you today because as a dad of a two-year-old boy and a four-year-old daughter who's turning five soon, I'm always trying to figure out how can I do the best I can. And with climate change, we have so many things that are changing. Now, to start off with a big picture, Dr. Shamili, how has climate change increased the risk for those respiratory challenges? Yeah, so with climate change, we are seeing longer pollen seasons. We are also seeing an increase in wildfires, as well as an increase in other storms um, that can exacerbate these respiratory conditions, first of all, but also with increased exposure to the allergens and pollutants, this can also increase the risk for the development of allergies and asthma Particularly, it's been shown in um, a pediatric population, so children, as you mentioned, so rightfully to be concerned about your children developing those conditions, especially now uh, with the increased risk due to climate change. So basically, you're saying that kids, if they get exposed a lot or, or babies, there's a much higher risk that they have this as a problem for the rest of their life. Yes, these um, conditions, both allergies as well as asthma are chronic conditions and there's no cure for those. So it is something that these conditions can be there for the rest of their life. Now, sometimes these conditions can wax and wane throughout your, your lifetime. And as I said earlier, definitely reducing your exposure to some of the triggers of those conditions can help keep those diseases under good control. But again, as you mentioned, these are conditions that are chronic or lifelong, and there are no cures for, for asthma and allergies at this time. I heard before that already in the pregnancy phase, there can be an impact of the growing child with regards to their sensitivities to asthma or allergies. What is the scientific linkage there? Well, some of the, the concerns that are currently being studied are the impact of air quality, particularly of the mother on the growth of the, of the baby, as you mentioned. If the mother is not able to, to breathe in good quality air, that can definitely impact the development of, of the baby and particularly of the lungs itself. So that is one concern. Further to some of these pollutants or poor air quality in general can lead to inflammation in the mother, um, and that can be passed on to, to the child itself too. So those are some of the concerns that we have as scientists and providers or physicians. Now, there are quite a few studies ongoing right now in multiple countries looking at birth cohorts where they look at um, what is the air quality that the mother is having or being exposed to. And then now let's follow them over five years, 10 years, 20 years to really see what the impact is. So I think the science link is, or the hypothesis is there that it definitely impacts, but it is something that is currently um, under study at this time. Wow. And just thinking about what you shared we don't just deal with a climate change or pollution issue here. We deal as well with a social justice issue here because we know from other past experiences, anecdotal stories, that often communities that are 
can't afford a nice uh, rural living or, or living outside of town, communities that might be close to factories, or in the case of Southeast Asia, if you live in a, a squatter area in the Philippines or close to such an area, you are facing a lot more air pollution than if you would be in a nice gated community where there is a low density of people and where there are no open burning is not allowed. But this is happening a lot in uh, such scenarios. So I'm just trying to understand how are those two things linked, the, the social justice and the the air pollution impacting asthma and respiratory issues. Yeah, so you're really getting to the heart of, you know, where my research follows is that looking at um, health equity and exposures such as pollution, how it impacts particularly minority populations. As you mentioned earlier, I um, practice and live in Chicago, and there are a lot of disparities related to asthma and allergies here in Chicago. And as you said, we can clearly see that link that in areas where there are power plants or factories, that there are much higher rates of asthma as well as allergies and much higher rates of emergency room visits for asthma, deaths from asthma. So those are very closely linked. One thing I wanted to point out is our measurement of air quality. So here in Chicago, if you look, you can get an air quality index number, but that is really pooled for almost the entire city of Chicago. And as you pointed out, there are definitely very different areas of Chicago and the air and the air quality varies quite a bit between different areas of Chicago. So it is really important for us to hopefully get better air quality numbers that doesn't necessarily pool and probably dilute the impact that some of these severe, poor air quality exists in certain neighborhoods. So being able to get some of this data at a neighborhood level is very important. And there has been a big push for us to be able to, to get that information so people can use that information to know really what's the air quality in their neighborhood, not necessarily for all of Chicago, because it can vary quite a bit, even within a community. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing. That's exactly my experience. You know, you live a couple of hundred meters away from a certain location and the air quality is totally different. This is a, a real issue. It can be factories as well. It can be industrial pollution. Is there, are there any cities that have made any progress on trying to improve uh, even the air quality for those minority communities that are most affected? Well, I'm not sure if specific cities have, but there has definitely be at a policy level um, a push to find ways to improve the air quality, typically more of the of the indoor environment. And I know that's kind of a whole nother area, such as trying to reduce mold in in the homes as well as reduce exposure to smoking. So those are some of the things that you know, some policies that have been put in place for particularly government housing here in the United States, if it is government housing, that um, there's a no smoking policy in that just to help reduce those exposures, their health effects, the poor health effects that that they have. There's a lot to be done, I would say, um, to help improve the outdoor environment of those communities 
and to help address those disparities that that we're seeing. So those are something that we still need to do a lot of work on. Yeah. Coming back to the point you mentioned earlier about the exact measurement and the data quality points, I remember a couple of years ago, after I'd moved to the Philippines, I read this article. This was from a company that was sourcing the data uh, open source. (laughs) They said, this one town in the Philippines has the best air quality, and I, I can't remember the name of the town. Nobody could believe it because people knew this was an industrial town with a lot of factories and a lot of pollution. They must have put that one monitoring device that they had in that town somewhere on, on an area where it was uh, uh, not affected at all by the traffic and by the pollution coming from the factories. So what you mentioned is absolutely right. One or two data points are not enough. You need really a comprehensive monitoring framework because two or 300 meter away from one another, there might be a totally different scenario. So is it cars? Is it factories? What is it that has a big share of the impact on our local environment, uh, air quality conditions? Yeah, I mean, I think it can vary. It just kind of depends on, you know, where you're living. So, I mean, I think definitely traffic intensity that can definitely have an impact uh, on the air quality and getting back to kind of the social justice piece. Uh, you know, a lot of the communities where minority populations have been kind of put, um, I, and I'll say that because there's this term of redlining that was done previously to kind of promote segregation, essentially, particularly at least in Chicago, but also other cities in the United States. But those communities, that's they're often more situated by highways or high traffic areas um, or again, next to those power plants or factories. So it it definitely depends on the environment or that community, what's going to be the the major component. But that's something that often has to be on on the individual to decide or to find out, okay, what, what is in my community that could be worsening or put me at risk for respiratory diseases such as allergies and asthma? Yeah. Speaking from personal experience, in the place where we mainly used to live before, it was traffic, high volume of vehicles. And in the Philippines, they still have a lot of two-stroke engines and uh, lorries that don't, or cars even, that don't actually comply with the legal requirements, but somehow they still get their certification for whatever reasons. <laughs> and I think people who, who live in the Philippines know what I'm talking about. And we had the open burning coming from the neighborhood. So two main sources. And then we decided during the pandemic, we need to go to a cleaner place and to a greener place. And it was essentially affordability. Then we moved to a place that is a gated community and uh, there's no pollution whatsoever. There's no factories. There's virtually zero traffic. And the air is like super clean and and low pollution. So if I compare, and I have a Yoohoo monitoring device, and I can measure, you know, the old place where we used to stay, and the new place where we are staying, particularly PM 2.5. I mean, we'll come back to that later on in, in, in our second show this month, where we'll talk a little bit more about the pollutants themselves. But that that is really the main difference that I can see 
where you know the PM 2.5, the PM 10, the, the particles, they are the ones that are massively different in in the old location where we used to live, and then now the new location where we live. So if people want to find out themselves, what can they do? Can they rely on public data on air quality, or do they have to take it into their own hands and do the monitoring themselves? I think it's a combination where you know, some of the public data might be helpful. And I know here in Chicago, there has been, again, a push to look more at individual like zip code or even using geocoding to look at what is at, at the street level to see what, you know, what the air pollution is there. So using that, but just knowing, again, when you're looking at publicly available data, that there are limitations to, to knowing what's really in your neighborhood. But also, I think doing the individual monitoring can help a lot, too, um, to seeing particularly what's in the in-home environment. But again, I think it's a two-part. You want to know what's in the indoor as well as um, the outdoor environment. Because, you know, again, getting to that social justice piece, there are some communities where the indoor environment may be better than the outdoor environment or vice versa, the indoor environment can be, you know, worse than, than the outdoor environment. So, so we, that plays a role in what mitigation strategies we tell people to do. If the outdoor environment's worse than the indoor environment, then maybe you shouldn't open your windows, um, <laughs> use other ways for, for ventilation or, but obviously if the indoor environment is worse than the outdoor, then telling, um, you know, having people get better ventilation through opening their windows. So it's it's definitely um, both a, a dual approach. Yeah, as as the green man, as an environmentalist, I usually used to recommend to people: oh, you can save a lot of electricity and lowering your carbon footprint by opening up the windows and getting fresh air to cool your room. But actually, depending on where you live, that's maybe a tricky recommendation because you might be bringing in. Uh, loads of pollutants. Looking back at respiratory issues, does our body adopt to the circumstances? Do we potentially build up some kind of resistance against bad air quality around us? Is that playing a role as well? We don't. We don't see that necessarily. That our body kind of adapts to it. That is something that you know we know the impact of the exposure to the pm 2.5s as well as voc and other allergens on the airway and you know people you know will have that inflammatory or immune response to those exposures i guess the one thing that maybe people adapt to is dealing with the symptoms so you know i definitely have experience where people are like, well, you know, I can't, I, they end up self-limiting themselves because of their symptoms and just say, well, I just can't do that. It's like, oh, I can't walk two blocks because I get shorter breath and that's just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Um, but definitely making sure that we kind of set that, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. If you, you know, reduce your exposures to the different um, triggers then you can have a better, you know, quality of life. So I think I don't think our bodies necessarily like at the immune system level adapt, but definitely I think we adapt ourselves um, and you know that leads to self-limitations. All right, we will finish here for today, but we'll continue this discussion very soon and we'll focus a lot more on the 
actual specific pollutants that we need to look out for. So uh, see you again soon.